I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowler-Jack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I am Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Jen Chapman. She is the Intentional Faith Development Director at First United Methodist Church of Pasadena, California. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, so I've interviewed you before over on uh, my podcast, This Nazarene Life, but I wanted to give you a chance to kind of retell some of those stories. So I'll start with how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene originally? Okay, well, um, my family moved to Texas. Well, we moved to a new town in Texas and, um, you know, just looking for a church. And I think my mom got invited by a neighbor or something like that. And we went to a church that had like really great children's ministries programs and stuff like that. And so it happened to be a church of the Nazarene and Mm. that's where we made our church home and we were there that was my um local church all the way through high school and college um and beyond so that's awesome um kind of tell us the story of your call to ministry um so i like i said you know grew up in this one local church um we were always really involved we were always you know doing volunteering, doing all the things. Um, you know, I grew up as a young teenager, like leading VBS and, you know, as a youth speaking in my youth group and leading praise and worship and doing all those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And so the church really always felt just like a second home to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so I remember being a high school student and, um, being at camp. And Mm -hmm. of course, when you're at when you're at camp, they uh, tend to do those altar calls for people who might be called to ministry. And I remember one day when that was happening, I didn't go forward, but I was just thinking to myself, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to marry a pastor. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know, um, the church is like kind of my home and I just always see myself uh, being a person who serves the church and it would just make a lot of sense for me to be a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what didn't enter my mind, um, was the, the possibility that I could be a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I had never seen a woman be a pastor. We'd had mm-hmm. women speakers like evangelists that came to camp, but, um, never 
a pastor. And so I think I just didn't have any context for that. So yeah. then the closest thing in my mind <laughs> was marrying a pastor. So wow. I didn't go forward because I thought that might be an awkward thing to say if somebody asked me what my <laughs> ministry was. Um, <laughs> But I just kind of had it in my mind, like, yeah, mm -hmm. like, I think I feel like I do have like this call to serve the church. And, mm -hmm. and that was what made the most sense of how, what that would look like at the time. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny because my senior year, um, you know, they do all those different things at school, like where they vote, everybody is most likely to become this or that. Mm -hmm. And um, I was voted most likely to become a pastor out of Aww. my high school senior class. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, like, that's really nice that they, you know, see me in that role, but still did not register in my brain that that wow. was an actual possibility of something mm. that I could do. Mm. Um yeah, it's kind of funny. So I went to um, Southern Nazarene University mm -hmm. and I was an education major because mm. I liked kids and I thought, you know what? Teachers go really good with pastors. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously was not thinking a lot about income level, but sure. um, it made sense in my mind. Um, so... <laughs> I started out doing education classes and, but of course at SNU, you have to take um, a number of religion courses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so I think I took a, a couple of those um, ones that you have to have that first year. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love mm. these classes. Yeah. Um, and my education classes, not so much. Also, I was working at an after-school program that year. Mm. Um, and so by the end of that year, between the classes and the job, I was like, yeah, no, teaching is not my thing. Mm -mm. Um, but ministry and theology classes, give me some more of that. So mm -hmm. I changed my major, not knowing what I was going to do with it. Um, my parents were slightly horrified. Um, because they were like, I don't know how you're going to make any kind of income. Mm. Um, you don't even know what you want to do. And I thought, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll like write Sunday school curriculum or something. Mm. Um, so I was a ministry and theology major, um, for a while, loved the classes, had a lot of fun, still had no idea what I was going to do. Mm. Yeah. Still didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Then my junior year, I took um, a preaching class, Dr. Green, mm -hmm. and um, I, we were reading a book called Preaching Jesus, mm. and the book was just a lot about the vocation of pastor, mm. and as I was reading it, it just kind of like lit up my heart. And mm. it was like, this, this is what I'm called to do. Mm. This is, um, you know, this is me. And so that happened in the reading. And then I got to, you know, prepare and preach my first sermon. And I had so much fun doing it and got a lot of positive affirmation from my classmates and professors. And um, the professors were like, passing it around in the hallways and all telling me how great it was. And so it was just kind of like a affirmation of what I had felt as I mm. was, you know, reading and beginning to think that way. Um, so it was really neat. 
So that's kind of where uh, a call to pastoral ministry really solidified for me. Hmm. Well, tell me about the ministry story from there. What happened? What happened next? Well, I went on to Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, I figured if I was going to be a female pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, I better go to our very own seminary, mm-hmm. <laughs> get that uh, stamp on my resume. Um, so I got an MDiv. Um, I, while I was there, I was an intern at um, like a volunteer or associate pastor at with a pastor who is incredible. Um, and I had a really amazing um, time there just, you know, getting to be involved in ministry and learning from her and being mentored by her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually, before I graduated, um, we were, of course, in Kansas City, and it's really cold. And my husband, John, was like, it's too cold here. We have to move away. <laughs> so we decided to go ahead, and I applied for uh, ministry positions. And we moved to Texas, and I was the um, student family pastor at a little church. And so that was my first full-time ministry position, and I finished up seminary remotely from there. Mm-hmm. Um and I did two years there. Um, it was a lovely little church. Um, I didn't fit in all that well <laughs> in my way of thinking, but I, you know, we, we loved each other anyway. But after a couple of years, it was time to move on. And I was longing for um, just kind of the kind of church that I had imagined pastoring mm. um, and being in that lead pastor role. And uh, so we decided to move to Dallas where my husband, it was closer to where my husband had gotten a teaching job. Oh, by mm. the way, a little uh, switcheroo there. John was a ministry major when we met at SNU, planning to be a pastor. I was an education major, planning to marry a pastor. And then <laughs> he dropped out of seminary and I'm <laughs> the one who became a pastor and he became a teacher. So that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he got a teaching job in Dallas, and so we decided to move to Dallas. And um, I thought we decided we'd plant a church. Um, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we made the move. I got a job at a coffee shop, um, and then we got connected with um, a little group who were part of. Church of the Nazarene, uh, but they were kind of a congregation within. Um, was actually their leader, and then he was looking to move to go do some grad work, and so they were needing a pastor for their um, small group. But they were also um, thinking about becoming a church plant, mm. and so um, I had dinner with. Uh, just some really amazing folks. And we sat down and we talked about our dreams for the church. And it just felt like, you know, one of those moments where Mm. it's like, wow, like God is just in this. Like it felt like choirs of angels were singing in the pizza shop where we're (laughs) we're sitting. (laughs) Um, It was pretty incredible. And um, we just, our hearts were like, and minds were just tracking with the vision Mm. that we had. Um, for the church and and that was just a 
like a week and a half after we had made this move to Dallas, not really knowing what we were going to do, just this idea that maybe we'd plan a church somehow. And Uh so, um, yeah, so it was pretty incredible. And so I started preaching for that group um, and we kind of went through this discernment process of whether or not they wanted to become a church plant and they did and they wanted me to be their pastor. And so, um, so yeah, so we did that and um, we planted in a, a low income apartment complex in um, North Dallas. And um, we met in a apartment clubhouse that was used as an after school program during the week mm. um, and connected with that ministry and did um, a lot of good work in that neighborhood and learned a lot and grew a lot. And um, thankfully the church is still going, still doing great work. Um, but I was with them for seven years. Wow. Um, yeah, seven great years. And, um, and then it was kind of, uh, I was getting to a point in my ministry there that I felt like I had kind of done the extent of what I was going to be able to do. Um, and maybe they needed someone with a di- different set of gifts to be able to do some things that I just like, had wanted to do, but it wasn't quite working. I'd mm-hmm. also been through a whole lot of um, personal stuff like infertility, pregnancy mm-hmm. loss, then we adopted our sons from foster care. And that was a whole lot. And John had lost um, a number of immediate family members. And he was going through a lot of grief. Our marriage was going through some stuff. So we had a lot of personal trauma in those seven years in the midst of, um, you know, being a pastor of a small church plant and doing this kind of cross-cultural work that was really challenging. And I was just kind of worn out. Um, Mm. and I felt like they needed somebody with new life and a different set of skills, um, and the energy to kind of take the work to where it needed to go next. Um, so because I was at that point, um, that I was, I knew it was time to move on from that local church, um, ministry that I had to think about, okay, if I'm going to move on, where am I going? And, um, kind of what what's really next for me. Mm. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, spoiler alert, you end up not in the church of the Nazarene eventually in this story, but, um, I want to start kind of at the beginning of that thought process. Um, when do you feel like was the first time that you thought you may not stay in the church of the Nazarene? Well, gosh, um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that's, it's really hard to identify a first time. Um, I would say there were a number of times over those years that I, um, well, I'll just say kind of the the top issue for me um, was around LGBT inclusion. Um, and so in ministry, when you have people in your congregation who either um, share with you that they're in that community or or you maybe have an inclination that they might be, um, and then just kind of wrestling internally with what it means to be their pastor. Mm. Um, and I think that my understanding and my theology around that particular issue I started questioning kind of the validity of LGBT exclusion 
back in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember asking professors about it then saying like, you know, how do you understand this? I like, it just, it just didn't feel right to me. And I was like, Mm. something is wrong with this. I don't understand it. Can, is there a way that I could get around this in scripture? You know, Mm. like I was looking for little loopholes because it just didn't feel true to the heart of God. Mm. Um, and it just didn't feel right. And but I, I can never quite get the straight answers I was looking for. Um, same thing in seminary. And then as I, I think it's just, as I went along in ministry, it just became more and more clear to me that what is true and what is holy and what is in line with the heart of God is, is to be fully welcoming and including of the LGBT community. Um, and there's just no, um, there's just no other way of looking at it. And so um, being in a denomination that, you know, is, is pretty firmly um, seeing any homosexual relationship as, as a sinful one just became increasingly uncomfortable. And, you know, and the more I went on, the more I had, you know, people that I knew, I was watching people live their lives in, you know, married homosexual relationships with children and how, you know, they're just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just seeing the fruit of, of, of people who even love God and are part of churches and just raising their families and living their life like the rest of us. And um, so, yeah, it just, it's like, and, you know, there's, there's other things as well, but really that was kind of the main thing. And I had um, some family members who are um, in that as well. Nothing, nobody super close, but in my extended family. Um, and then I was also raising my kids in it, you know, because I think that was the other thing is, um, you know, we can believe differently ourselves and even minister differently than our denomination. But you know, my kids are going to like church camp um, in this denomination. They're being taught by other people. And um, they're also in a church where they're not going to see, you know, a gay person in ministry or, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And so um, I kind of had a wake up call one day when um, one of my son's you know, because you have these beliefs and you think you're passing them on to your children, but sometimes kids, you know, they're soaking up from the environment around them. And so um, I got a postcard from my cousin and her wife and their daughter. Um, and it was like a Christmas card and they're not people that we see in person really. And so my son looked at it, he was like, you know, who is that? And I explained the relationship and he was like, ew that's so gross. That's so wrong. And I was like, no, that's not what we believe. And, you know, he's really little at the time. Um, but it just was really a wake up call that if he's not exposed, um, to this being a normal, you know, family, um, then, then that's what he's going to think. Cause we all think something that's different or that we're not around, um, you know, the, the, the impulse is to think it's bad or to be afraid of it. Mm. Um, and so that's just what he thought uh, because he wasn't around it. And I was like, gosh, I gotta get, I gotta get my kids in a situation where they're 
you know, around people who are different. Um, mm. Of course we were, our, our church context was uh, people who are very different, um, you know, culturally, but it's still, you know, didn't try to attract a bunch of people um, from in that community because I wouldn't be able to minister to them as effectively, you know, I couldn't marry them if they want to be married, if they were called to ministry or wanted to teach a Sunday school class, you know, things got awkward. And so, um, so yeah, it just made me realize that I wanted to be in a space where I could be fully openly um, affirming and that my kids were in a context where that was um, valued mm. and they're seeing it. So kind of go from there, tell me about the, the decision that you end up making or the pivot that you decided to make. Sure. Um, so I, I decided when I decided I was leaving that I, I was, it was kind of like one in the same, that it was also time to leave the denomination. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, I, I spent some time, you know, looking into various options. The two that stood out the most to me were the United Methodist Church and the United Church of Christ. Um, you know, the Nazarene to United Methodist move is a pretty common one. <laughs> we obviously share a lot. Um, uh, it's a very natural um, move. And so, and I knew a lot of Methodists, so that seemed um, just like a natural fit. Um, I also looked into the UCC, but I didn't have, I didn't know a single person who was part of the UCC mm. at the time. Um, so it was just a less natural um, fit at the time. So I decided to look for, um, jobs in the United Methodist Church, um, of course, and you may be thinking, well, the United Methodist Church also <laughs> has a similar stance on um, LGBT inclusion, and that is true, but they had um, a big uh, decision coming up in a couple of years. They were mm -hmm. going to do a big, um, they were re-looking at the issue, and there were, I knew that there were a ton of United Methodists who are fully affirming and Methodist churches who are reconciling, which means that they are in open defiance of the United Methodist um, rules around that issue. And um, so I really wanted to be at a reconciling church. At first I thought, as long as I can find a United Methodist church that is affirming, they don't have to be officially reconciling. Um, but I kept, I kept running into this problem where I would sit down in an interview with a United Methodist pastor and I would say, so, you know, at some point in the interview, so I'm wondering how you're feeling, how, you know, where you're at on this issue. And like three different times, a United Methodist pastor in Texas uh, said to me, well, you know, I'm affirming, I'm on the same page as you are, but here at this church, we, like, we just can't talk about it here. And mm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's not going to work for me. That was, that's the problem that I was having, you know, um, where I'm coming from. And so I, when I feel like I'm either going to be in defiance of my denomination or I'm going to be in defiance to what I see as the full love of God for all of creation, um, I don't really want to be stuck in that, um, in that situation. So, um, 
So that was a no-go. So then I was like, okay, reconciling churches it is. And maybe we have to go out of Texas and <laughs> try California. <laughs> so I, uh, California is the state that John and I had always said, if we were going to leave Texas, that that's where we'd want want to go. So I was like, okay, let's, let's look in California. And I found a position at a full-time position at a reconciling church here and made the move. So, and that was uh, four and a half years ago. Mm. Um, what was that transition like for you? You know, it was interesting um, it, for so many reasons, you know, uh, I went from a very small, um, you know, urban apartment ministry church plant situation um, to a large traditional United Methodist Church, like mm -hmm. very established buildings, a hundred years old, beautiful, you know, sanctuary with stained glass windows that seats 1,400 people. I mean, that many people don't go to the church, but it's just you know going from like apartment clubhouse, multicultural ministry to mm -hmm. giant sanctuary, big traditional church was just a um, huge transition in and of itself, moving from Texas to California. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, now um, being in a new denomination, um, of course the process of switching denominations is, is a timely one or time consuming one. And I, you know, I was like, let's just get settled in first and then we'll kind of see. Um, and I think about six months in, I got connected with like the paperwork that I would need to do to put in an application. And I sat on it for like a year um, because I just, I don't know. I just, every time I went to start, it just like, I don't know, something doesn't feel right about this. Mm -hmm. um, and um, more and more, I just kind of realized that the United Methodist Church just wasn't quite the right fit for me hmm. um, for a number of reasons. Um, one of them is the appointment system um, and just kind of the, the amount of control that bishops have and the, the hierarchy of the church I'm not quite as comfortable with. Um, so... I actually was like, you know, I kind of like the way the Nazarenes do it, where the church gets to call their own pastor, you know, mm -hmm. and of course the, um, there's, there's more than that involved in the process and there's accountability that comes from um, district leadership and all of that. But, but there's a more of a direct relationship between the, the congregation and the minister and less of like a higher up who's just kind of moving people around. Mm -hmm. And so that felt more comfortable to me. And um, yeah, just a lot of things about kind of the church polity. And then they had the big, um, the big meetings over LGBT inclusion and it got shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and so rules weren't changing. Uh, ball keeps getting kicked down the road. Um, of course there's a pandemic, so what do you do? Um, but I, I don't feel like they're any closer now, four and a half years later than they were when I first came mm. as a denomination about definitely to making a, um, an affirming stance or getting rid of those 
um, rules in the book of discipline. So um, that plus the polity stuff, I, I eventually decided that the United Methodist Church is not um, its temporary home, but not a not not my next um, permanent place of ministry. So, mm. and that being said, I, I love this church that I'm serving. Um, they've been so good to me. I, after my um, first like year and a half of ministry here, you know, I, I told you kind of like what we had been through personally before and that that was just a lot. And then I came here and um, my personality is um, I'm an Enneagram three. So I am an achiever and a pleaser. So I just kind of hit the ground running and, you know, I, I really needed like some rest and instead I'm like, okay, let me show you how great I am. Um, and so I just like worked myself to the bone and I was just so exhausted mm -hmm. that I was kind of at this point of, I, I don't know, I don't really know if I want to be in ministry anymore. I don't know that I want to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and the church uh, gave me a paid renewal leave um, eight weeks and wow. sent me on a spiritual retreat and I had a spirit paid for a spiritual director, like all mm. of this stuff to really um, just like help me give me what I needed. And yeah. during that time, I, you know, felt like a reaffirmation of my call to ministry. And, mm. but I also felt, um, I felt that it was kind of clear that I was called to ministry, but that this wasn't the place that I was going to be. This wasn't the, the, the denomination where I will be serving. So I, um, kind of a, a fun little twist in the story. So I had told you before that I didn't have any personal UCC connections. Mm. Um, well, just before I left on my renewal leave, um, a United Church of Christ congregation um, sold their building in Pasadena in our neighborhood and started worshiping in our church building's chapel. Oh. And so they, you know, became, they're like our renters. They're another church who is also using our church building. And um, the pastors started officing in some rooms that we had. And so I started getting to know now this um, UCC congregation and pastors. And um, I just love them. They, the pastors are um, Marlene and Jake Pomeroy, a married couple. And um, there's just something about them, about their demeanor, about the way that they kind of go about ministry um, that just really appealed to me. Um, and we had a lot of conversations. I asked a lot of questions about the denomination. And eventually um, I, they kind of helped me get on the track to begin um, preparing to transition to the UCC mm. by privilege of call. Um, so I am now in that process. So I am a member of their church um, and I try to pop in when I can, I'm mostly just working here. Mm. Um, but but yeah, so I, I'm in the midst of that process now and probably looking about one more year of that before I will be able to um, potentially uh, look for lead pastor positions in the UCC. 
Wow. Thanks for telling that story. Yeah. Kind of already in that same vein, my next question was going to be, um, what has God been doing in your, in your life and ministry since, uh, in the four and a half years since you're, since starting this kind of transition? Um, yeah. Where, where are you at? What's been going on? Yeah, so much. Um, you know, I feel like, um, the renewal leave and also working with a spiritual director really helped me to kind of find a better rhythm of work and life, um, mm-hmm. kind of identifying the things that really do um, give me that Sabbath rest that reconnect me with God and myself. Um, and so just kind of finding better rhythms, a healthier work-life work balance. Um, I do a lot of hiking here. We go to the beach a lot, um, you know, and and finding finding a peace and um, with taking time for those things, mm. um, you know, not seeing it as, um, you know, being lazy um, <laughs> because you're just going and having fun, but, um, seeing those things as actually like part of your spiritual life and what mm. um, gives you life so that you can keep going in ministry. Mm. Oh, I love that. Um, so from the outside looking in, I'm wondering um, what what could we, and I guess I mean the Church of the Nazarene have done to, to be more hospitable um, to you, to your ministry, um, in our denomination? Yeah. Um, you shared these questions with me. So I've been thinking about this one and, you know, it's hard because, um, you know, I really feel like the the only, only thing that would have made any difference is if I would have felt free to fully minister to and include the LGBT community and, um, I don't know, I, I felt at the time and it could be different now, but I just felt like that it was like not even anywhere on the radar of what was possible. Um, another thing though, I, I don't, not that this would have made me stay in the church of the Nazarene, but I do feel like when I left, um, I feel like I feel like it automatically cut off my relationships with most Nazarene pastors. Mm. Um, And that was hard. Um, Just kind of feeling like, you know, not no longer welcome or no longer included. And it makes sense in a lot of ways. I mean, actually, um, I remember getting a message from you um, when shortly after I had moved um, because there was some kind of like young clergy group of some sort. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it was like a Nazarene young clergy something. And you were letting me know that you were taking me off of like the email list or something. Um, because, you know, I had, I was, you know, moving on and Oh no, um, I don't remember this. I'm so embarrassed. 
oh, well, you know, you can take this part out of the podcast if you want, but, um, <laughs> no, no, we have to leave it in. We got to be honest. Oh gosh. But I just remember getting that and just feeling like, well, I, I guess this is goodbye. I guess oh. nobody's like hoping that I'm coming back, you know, um, they're, I'm moving on and they're just waving goodbye. Oh, um, no. so it I did, wonder what that was. I don't remember what it was either. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it just did kind of feel like that. Like, mm. um, you know, I, it, it just felt like if I, any Nazarene group of people that I was a part of before, I just, or connections that I had, it was just like, I'm just not hearing from those people anymore. And mm. to be fair, I wasn't reaching out either. Mm. Um, but it just was this odd, um, there's, I, I feel like we could all do better at staying connected with each other mm. um, beyond denominational uh, divides. You know, yeah. I think that's just something that the church needs to do in general is mm. figure out ways that we can still support one another and partner with one another, um, even when we're part of different denominations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the big thing that I think would be. Um, and I, I don't think there's really any chance I was coming back, but if, if there was any chance that I had, had been thinking about it, you know, yeah. um, that feeling of separation mm. definitely kind of solidified. It was like, okay, that chapter is officially ended, put a stamp mm. on it. It's done, you know? Mm. Um, and so I don't Did know. Did you have a thinking. similar sensation when you like transferred your credentials or how, how did that process work? You know, it, that was a little more of a long process. Um, I kind of, my, the DS from my, the district that helped, cause my, when I left, um, my credentials were put on hold. Mm. Um, that was like the arrangement that we had. Um, I, I sat down with my DS and I told him exactly why I was leaving, you know, and it was all in good relationship. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, mutually, you know, caring for one another and appreciative of one another. And this mm -hmm. is just a situation I, you know, I see this differently and I feel like this is what God's, you know, calling me to do. And um, so the DS would call me like, every, I don't know, few months, six months, and just say like, hey, just checking in, where are you at in the process? So I would, I feel like that was actually really open. Like, I feel like if I had said, you know, I'm actually thinking I might, you know, want to come back. I, I feel like I would have been welcomed back. I feel like I would. I mean, I don't really know. Um, but, <laughs> but that's good. Uh, that's good. Yeah, they've they've actually been really great. I just needed Aww. some paperwork to turn into um, the UCC for part of my process. I had to get a copy of. I did have to actually mail in the mail my physical ordination certificate. Wow. <laughs> that was part of it being on hold. I was kind of surprised by that. Like, I I don't know. I I didn't think they would actually need me to mail in the actual certificate, but they did. So anybody out there who <laughs> Don't be surprised when they ask you to put that thing in the actual mail um, <laughs> and they still have it. And so um, the UCC board that's, you know, doing my, 
privilege of call stuff wanted the copy and I said, well, they have it. So mm. they sent a copy over. I, I sent an email on Monday and they sent everything on Tuesday. I mean, they're oh, awesome. so supportive and helpful in Aww. helping me make the transition and, you know, wrote a nice letter of good standing. So mm. even the fact that I, you know, have made it very clear the way I feel about things and I have this difference, they've been really helpful. So that's mm. been great. I'm actually so grateful to hear that, you know, um, this is not the first one of these interviews I've done. And um, that is so far the most gracious, I think, story that I've, I've heard. So I'm really grateful that that's been your experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel so much um, affection for the Church of the Nazarene. I'm not mm -hmm. a person who feels like burned or hurt. Um, I, I love the Church of the Nazarene and I love the people and so many of the leaders. And mm -hmm. I look back on my childhood and my ministry training and um, college and seminary and pastors who've mentored me. And I just feel grateful. Um, for for all of it so mm. um so yeah i i have you know differences and, and some things that i think are really important but but mostly i'm i'm grateful for the people in the ministry and all that i've experienced oh i love that um, by the way I, there's a lot of background noise right now i'm sorry i hope you oh no it's that. quite all right it's quite all right um and i the last thing that i wanted to ask you was um if you have any words of wisdom or encouragement that you might want to uh, give to the those of us who are still in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, um, you know, I would say that the most important thing is to be in tune with who you are and what your truth is and what mm. God is calling you to do. I think that, you know, you can look at somebody else's story and you can feel like, oh, I should do this or I should do that. I think that you really kind of have to quiet all that down and, um, you know, find that 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 voice uh, within that knowing of, of what it is that God wants you to do. What is mm. the next right step for you um, mm. in your life, in your ministry, given the situation that you are in? Because they're all so different. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many reasons to stay and there's so many reasons to go depending on the situation that you're in, the kind of ministry that you're called to do and, you know, who's in your context and who's in your life and what God has for you. So I would say just, you know, don't worry about what anyone else is doing or what you should or shouldn't do. Just listen to God and let God lead you to what is right for you. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for your time. Do you have anything else on your mind, on your heart that you would want people to hear? I don't think so. I think I, I think I've said it all. And like I said, I'm just, I'm so grateful for, um, so many incredible, um, Nazarene colleagues that I've had over the years and people I've done ministry alongside and learned from. Mm. And um, so I'm just 
very grateful and and I hope that we can stay connected. Um, yes. So, and you know, if there's ever a young clergy thing in California, I'm totally going to invite you um, because I don't know <laughs> why uh, 2017 Brit was s- such a jerk. So, yeah. <laughs> Totally I really fix don't think you were now. trying to be a jerk. I think you were just, you know, you just checking things off your list and you wanted to communicate the situation and oh, you weren't mean about it at all. It just Good grief. What a gatekeeper. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully that's, uh, that's changed. Oh gosh. I love it. Well, thank you okay. so much. Um, Jen, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, How might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.